in the great culture-shaping artistic masterpiece known as Batman Begins, uh, Bruce Wayne comes back from his little voyage and being in prison and kind of getting his head together and getting inspired to come back and change Gotham. And he runs into an old friend named Rachel. And Rachel just seems to see old Bruce. She doesn't see this new transformed Bruce who's ready to just change the world. And, and so she kind of says some things to him about sort of being that old person he was. And he says back to her, Rachel, oh no, I'm not gonna do the voice. He says back to her, he says, Rachel, he says, you know, all this stuff you see, he says, I'm more underneath. And then she says this line back, great line. She says, it's not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you, right? Now that's a great line, and there's some truth to that. We all know what she means. She's saying, hey, actions speak louder than words. Bruce, don't just tell me you're changed, be changed, okay? So she's not trying to come down too hard on the guy, but she's just saying, you know, put your, put your actions where your mouth are, okay? And that's great and all, but here's what I think. She goes too far when she says that what we do defines us, because If we're honest, looking at what we do and allowing that to define us is where a lot of us get ourselves in trouble. When we start to say, my performance defines me. My performance tells me who I am and what I'm worth. That gets us in a lot of trouble, doesn't it? That gets us in trouble at the workplace. Some of us would look at our work experience and and we've just been putting everything we are into that work experience saying, okay, if I'm good here, then I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to have a lot of worth. But if I fail here, then I'll have no worth. And whether you're doing a great job or a terrible job at work, work is not the place to define your worth because that's always shifting and changing. Some of you guys are getting a little older and you're looking at some of these young whippersnappers around and you're trying to keep up and you're getting a little exhausted. And some of you are the young whippersnappers and you're looking at the job market and there are none, right? And so if we look to our jobs or positions to define our worth, we're in trouble. Some of us try to define our worth as parents, right? We look at the the whole parenting thing, and if we're doing great, we feel great. If we're doing bad, we lost our our temper a little bit, or we said something we shouldn't have, or the kids have just been crazy, and we think, I have no control here, then we're defining our worth with that, and then we're always going to be struggling, because that goes up and down a lot, no? I mean, as a parent, sometimes you feel like you're nailing it. Like, when am I writing my book on parenting? This is going great. And then, like, the next day, they have you, like, you know, chained to a wall in your house and you can't move, you know. You're trying to explain to them this wonderful new soft drink that came out. It's called Benadryl. And I just happen to have it rationed out for you right here, kids. How great is that? Sometimes, man, I've never done that, by the way. But uh, sometimes being a parent is just really rough. And so we can't look to our parenting to define our worth. Some of us are looking at, at as our school performance as a student. You know, how am I doing here? And this, either I'm failing out or I'm doing great. Or, but if you're looking at that, to define your worth, then you're in trouble. I, even if you're doing okay. I mean, I, I, kind of, I, I sort of was an okay student. And, and then there was this other guy, though. See, in my class, there were two Dougs. There was me, Doug, and then there was Smart Doug, okay? And I was not, never Smart Doug. And Doug McVeigh was his name. Brilliant, brilliant kid. My, my mother-in-law knows. She's nodding her head. She's going, yes, he was brilliant, and you never were, Doug. No, no. Uh, and so Doug McVeigh, and I always kind of lived in that shadow. There was, there was like Doug, and then there was Smart Doug. And so like someone would be talking about, oh, who did that, Doug or Smart Doug? Like, which Doug was it? Which one are you talking about? And so I kind of always lived in that shadow, right? And so some of you maybe are thinking about what you did or didn't do at school, and it's sort of defined your worth a little bit. 
Some of you guys do this as an athlete. I talked a little bit about how I struggle with this last week. And so some of you guys do this. And it's on a basketball court or a soccer field or a volleyball court or whatever it might be. And, you know, you're all about that. You have a good game, then, man, you are good and you feel like you're worth a lot. You have a bad game and you walk around with your head down all week like sometimes I can struggle to. Um, some of us do this as a musician. I remember being in my 11th grade and I was sitting in the Smithtown Lanes bowling alley with a bunch of friends. And I said to my friends, my band... We are going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to be on the radio. There was no iTunes yet. <laughs> we're going to be on the radio. We're going to tour the country, maybe even the world. I was so serious. Our band, and we're going to make it. And that never happened, not even close. And so, you know, sometimes the failure in that aspect can do it. Um, this is something I can struggle with as a pastor. You know, you start to hear, wow, you hear how many, how many people go to that church over there? And Man, you hear how many people they baptized this year? That's so amazing, you know? And somebody starts telling you, man, I heard the most amazing message this week, and it wasn't yours, Doug. It was at this other <laughs> church, you know? Like, easy, okay? And so it can be easy for even me to struggle with these comparisons, and hey, man, am I doing all I can, and can I, can I, can I get better? There's nothing wrong with getting better, but if I find my worth in this, then man, I'm in trouble. My, my pastor growing up said that preaching on Long Island is like preaching to a parade. You know, people are just coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. Some of them come back again. Some of them leave again. And, and you know, so, if, man, if my worth is defined by whether you like me or you like my performance or not, then I'm in trouble. Not that I don't want to get better and not that I'm not open for feedback and doing things and, you know, hearing what you guys say. But if my worth is wrapped up in that, then I'm in big trouble. And some of you, actually all of us, know that one of our struggles, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is defining our worth and our performance before God. If we're doing well in our relationship with God, then we feel like we have some worth and we're feeling good about ourselves. But man, when we have one of those weekends, when we have one of those nights, when we have one of those days, our worth plummets. We're looking at God going, man, I just fall short so much. Or, you know, then the next day you're feeling good about yourself, you know? You're looking at your, your, your pride, and you're going, man, I'm feeling pretty good about my pride struggle right now. You know, I'm just real humble. You know, I know you're not, right? You just proved you're not. It's, a, it's just this up and down and up and down. And so, you know, we can really look like chameleons if we're going to live letting our performance in any arena define us because it's always going to be up and down. And we're never, ever going to find peace in our ability because we're never going to get it right be it as a parent or at your work or as a student or an athlete or a musician or before God. We are just never going to get it right. And so is there something more that should define our worth? I want to point you to that hope today. Last week we talked about the idea that people, we can never let people define our worth, right? That our worth is defined by God alone. He's the one voice has to drown everybody out. What he says about you and I has to drown everything and everybody else out. And so we talked about people defining our worth last week, and we're going to talk about performance defining our worth today. And, you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a problem for you too, isn't it? Like you would look at different areas of performance and say, oh, man, I just don't know if I'm worth much. And, and before God, you may just be going, well, I got no hope. Or maybe you thought being in a relationship with God or calling yourself a Christian is all about how well you perform. And today I want you to see that's not it. At all, And so if you're a follower of Jesus or not, I, I think today will impact you. Because I know this is a struggle for me, and this is something that I've been bringing before God a lot lately. And so last week in Ephesians 1, Paul helped us out. Paul was this guy who was a great performer until he met Jesus and realized how much he needed saving. And, and he put his trust in Jesus, and he went 
around the, the world and began to tell people about Jesus. And one of the places he wrote a letter to were the people in this city called Ephesus. And so in last week in Ephesians 1, we talked about, uh, really, Paul helped us see that people can't define our worth. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the very next chapter, we're going to see today that our performance can't define our worth. And so in Ephesians 2, Paul helps us out. I'm just letting you know up front, all right? It's going to be a little heavy in the room for the, for the next few minutes because he really helps us see. And please see this very clearly. He helps us see where our performance in and of ourself lands us, okay? And so if you're here today and your hope is in your own performance, it's just about to be dashed. I just want you to know that. So we go in knowing what's coming, all right? So don't be disappointed. But then it gets incredibly encouraging, all right? And so Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, and sins. Okay? So that's how well you and I perform. We're dead in our transgressions and sin. Transgression is, a, is basically an offense against God. It's just like sin. So you and I were dead. Well, what does it mean that we were dead in our transgressions and sin? Here's what it means. It means this. I have a physical body, and it's alive right now, right? But every one of us has a spirit. And what Paul's trying to help us understand is there's a time in all of our lives that we were spiritually dead. That spirit was unable to perform and do anything for God because it was dead. The only way your spirit comes to life, which we're going to see in a few minutes, is if God brings it to life. And so you and I were dead in our sin. Our spirits were stuck. We couldn't do anything that pleased God because we were unable to perform in our deadness, right? We understand this physically, right? We know that dead people can't perform, right, because they're dead. Right? I mean, LeBron James, one of the greatest performers ever, does things with a basketball if you can, but when he's dead, he will no longer be able to do those things. No one's going to be standing outside his grave waiting for a 360 dunk, right? Because he's dead. Billy Joel, one of the greatest performers, could probably sell out Madison Square Garden for the rest of his life. But when he's dead, no one's going to be sitting outside his graveside going, hey, anybody know when he's coming out to do Piano Man? Because like, he's dead. We get this physically, right? But that's what Paul says about our spirit. Our spirit is dead because of sin and our trespasses. And so there was never a time God looked at you or I and said, wow, he's really nailing it. You know, he never looked at me. He never called an angel over and said, watch Doug, watch what he's about to do here because this is going to be great. He's, he's, he's going to perform so well here. Now, see, our performance is completely broken. And so if our worth is found in our performance, then that's broken as well. And so he says, okay, so you're dead in your transgressions and sins. And he says this, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he's talking about the devil, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. And so he says, okay, so this is kind of the mess. But listen, he says, this is, what, this is where you used to live, right? In which you used to live when you followed. So something happened here, and we're going to see what that is in a minute. But before that, there's more bad news. He says in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. So he's saying, okay, this is everybody. We're all poor performers when it comes to keeping God's standards. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wait a minute, that, that, that's not true, because sometimes I do good stuff for people, you know? Like maybe you'd say to yourself, all right, I can remember times in my life where I did really good things for people before I was in a relationship with Jesus. Like I remember helping somebody out. And here's the question, right? This is the million-dollar question. Why did you do it? Why did you do it? Because I know why I would do it. You know, if, if I just, 
if I just wanted to do something nice for somebody, like the answer I hear all the time. In fact, some guy came recently and said, hey, I, I, I like to help people out. Like, is there anything I can do around here at the church? And, and, and he kept telling us why he wanted to help. You know why? He said this, because it makes me feel good inside. It makes me feel good inside. Well, you know what? That's doing the right thing for the wrong reason, isn't it? And so even when we do the right thing before God, sometimes it's for the wrong reason, which unfortunately before God means we don't get credit for that. Because at the, the heart of doing something right for the wrong reason is, is selfishness. Hey, it makes me feel really good to help people, so let me keep doing that. And so even when we're trying to do the right thing, we don't necessarily do it for the right reason, then it's not honoring God, and so therefore it's not right. And so in the next part, he says, all right, so we all lived among them one time, so we were all unable to perform. And then he says this, and here's what we were doing. We were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Okay, so spiritual Doug is dead. Not smart Doug, just plain old Doug. <laughs> spiritual Doug is dead, right? My physical body's alive, and so what am I doing? I'm just craving, I'm, I'm trying to fill all these cravings, you know? Cravings of lust, cravings of anger, cravings of doubt. I'm trying to fill this craving in my heart for something that will satisfy me with all the wrong stuff. And so that's what I look like when I'm spiritually dead. Right? Remember when your kids were first born, real young, what did they do? Nothing productive, right? They just gratified their cravings. I'm hungry. They just gratified their cravings. I'm in pain, so I'm going to cry. I remember when they first started talking, and they were able to say, Mom and Dad, and you gathered the grandparents around. Everybody's listening, and they're all excited, and they got the cameras rolling. You know what? After they said Mom and Dad, I can guarantee you that none of your children's third word was this. None of them went like this. Selfless, right? None of them went courteous, right? None of them did that. What did they say? Mine, more gratify the cravings. And that's what we are apart from a relationship with Jesus. That's what we are when we're spiritually dead, unable to perform, just simply gratifying our cravings. And some of you, if you're honest, you're going, that does sound like me. I gotta be honest. That sounds like how I used to be, or or even maybe today you're going, that sounds like me right now. There's this emptiness in my heart. I'm just trying to gratify that craving. I've been filling it with all kinds of stuff. And to be honest, it hasn't been working, but I don't know where else to turn. And so It's great you're here in the room today because you're going to see the answer that we're working toward today. And so dead in our sins, gratifying our cravings, unable to perform. So if your worth depends on your performance, then every single one of us is in big, big trouble. And then the last, most depressing news before we get to the good. He says this, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Okay, that's pretty intense. That doesn't sound fun. Like, I ask people out as I talk with them, hey, where, where are you headed in life? What are you aiming for? You know, what's going on? And no one has ever looked back at me and said, I'm going for object of wrath. You know, if everything lines up right, I'm, I'm feeling like I could nail that whole thing. No one's ever said that, right? Because none of us want to be an object of wrath. And what that means is, is that we're people who would deserve God's judgment. Why? Because we perform terribly. We perform terribly before God all the time, every day, multiple times a day. And you know what? God would be perfectly just, perfectly right to have allowed that that lack of performance to define us for the rest of our lives. In fact, my guess is if you're anything like me, if any of us were God, that's exactly what we would have done. He would have said, hey, I told you what to do. You didn't do it. Now that sin and transgression is going to define you. For eternity. But thank God for Ephesians 2, 4. 
Because this changes everything. Because here's what's about to happen. This is so powerful. Paul's about to stop talking about our performance. And he's going to start talking about Jesus' performance. And this is where we find our hope. And so he says in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, although you are sinful and dead spiritually and just gratifying your flesh and you're basically deserving of just judgment. That's where your performance lands you. But because of God's great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, and we looked at this word mercy last week, right? It's kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. And I love it. it says God's rich in mercy. Like he's the Donald Trump of mercy. He's the Bill Gates of mercy. He's rich in it. He has no end to it. And because of that, look what it says in verse 5. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive. Um, this, the, the real theological word for that is regeneration. It's to bring a dead heart back to life. That's what that word means. That's what God has done for you and I. He's looking at us, unable to perform, dead in our sin, gratifying our cravings. And he says, you know what I'm going to do for them? I'm going to bring their dead hearts back to life. I'm going to show them how much they're worth to me. Not based on their performance, but based on something altogether different. And so just imagine this. Spiritually speaking, it's like you and I are laying out on the table and God grabs the defibrillator and yells clear and he brings our dead heart back to life. That's what this looks like for you and I. Okay, so God has done that for me and I'm gonna let my worth be defined by my performance? I'm going to let my worth be defined by how I am as a dad or husband or boss or, or before God? When, when Jesus is wanting to define my performance? Well, well, the amazing thing about this whole scenario is that God didn't just grab a defibrillator. It wasn't that easy for God to bring our dead hearts back to life. Let's look at verse 13 and then we'll jump back to verse 5. It says, this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the defibrillator. No, it doesn't say that. It says through the blood of Christ. That's what it took. That's what it cost. That's how much you're worth. It was Jesus' performance. It was his performance in light of our inability to perform that brings our dead hearts to life. He lived the life you and I can't live. He performed in the way that you and I can't. Always been pure. When he walked the earth, always been, was always completely pure, was always patient, was always completely the embodiment of love, self-control. Never once lost his temper. Sure, there were times he was angry, but it was a right anger, a righteous anger. There were times he was jealous, but it was a right kind of jealousy. Like, hey, you belong to me. Why are you looking at that? That's broken. And so Jesus was perfect and performed perfectly in our place and then got on the cross and bled out for you and I. That's how much you're worth. And I'm going to let my job or my sport tell me how much I'm worth instead of that? Then he says this, jumping back to verse 5. It's by grace You've been saved. We saw this word last week too. In the Greek, it means undeserving favor or help. Undeserving 
favor or help. It's by grace you've been saved, not performance, not ability. And your lack of ability doesn't rule you out. You get undeserved favor or help from God. It's not based on your job or your sport or the PTA or what so-and-so says about you. It's 100% based on this grace. Now, this next verse seems a little bit confusing. I'll try to explain it for you. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, that seems a little weird because as far as I know, this is not heaven. Right? I mean, here we are still living in a broken world. If I have no hair, this is not heaven. Just saying, okay? Because I'm going to have a luscious head of locks. You know, you're all going to see me in heaven. You're going to be like, oh, did you see Doug? Yeah, well, where is he? Well, he's the guy with the hair down to his feet, okay? So that's going to be me in heaven. I'm just telling you, glorified body, lots of hair, okay? This is not heaven. So what is this verse saying? It says, God raised me up with Christ and seated me with, with him in the heavenly realms, but I'm here. And so what does this mean? It seems a little bit confusing, but what, what it's saying is, is that God brought our spirits to life. And just like Jesus, who was dead, raised from the dead, and then ascended to heaven, God's done that for us, spiritually speaking, and it's as good as done. Though our physical bodies are not there yet, it's as good as done. And Tom Constable said this, because if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be saying, Doug, this is all this raising, ascending, this sounds a little confusing, I don't quite get this. Tom Constable says this, the fact that God enabled Christ, which is another name for Jesus, to do these things physically. So the fact that Jesus rose back from the dead physically should help us believe that he's done these things for us spiritually. Now, that's why we give out the visitor CD and the evidence CD set, because everything about Christianity hinges on whether Jesus is alive or not. And we want you to be convinced. And so there's a 10-part series out there, six and a half hours of evidence that will help you understand that Jesus is alive and what he did physically, he wants to do for you and I spiritually. And that's why this verse makes sense because God has, it is, it is as good as done that your and my spirit has been raised and will be with Christ when we die. Verse seven, he says this, in order that, and so in other words, Jesus did all that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means for all eternity, God's going to just show us his grace and his riches. You ever think heaven was going to be boring? Like, what am I going to do? Just like sit on a cloud and shoot arrows at Cupid? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do up there. Like, what's going to happen? For all eternity, God's going to continue to figure out ways to show you how amazing he is. Just reveal his grace to you. Reveal his riches. You ever prayed this prayer while you're here? God, could you just feel a little closer? God, can you just show me that you're real? Can you show me a little bit more? All eternity will be the answer to that prayer. Let me just keep on showing you how how great I am. Let me keep showing you how good I am. Let me show you my unbelievable love for you. That's how much you're worth. And you and I are going to let a boss or a, a job performance or a lack thereof define our worth. And then he just he says, okay, if there's any doubt if this is about performance, let's look at verses eight and nine. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves is the gift of God. Listen to this, verse nine. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by performance. Your love, not because of your performance. Your love, not because of your lack of performance. You're loved because of grace. And the way you and I experience that grace is when we look to faith in God, which even that is a gift that he's given. 
That's what you're worth. Don't let a situation, a performance define you. God saw us dead in our sin. Could have just left us. If he saw us gratifying our cravings, if he saw us knowing we just deserve his full judgment, and instead he put his son on the cross, then how can we doubt our worth? Now, here's the question. Some of you guys are like, sweet, then I can just be like horrible at work. Hey, God, God loves me. doesn't matter how I perform at work. Go and tell your boss that tomorrow. He'll love that one, right? Of course, God still wants you to be great at your job. Of course, he wants you to be a great husband and a great wife and great out on a ball field. He wants you to excel. He wants you to do well. Well, how does that make sense, Doug? Now you're contradicting yourself. Well, let's look at verse 10. For we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so wait a minute. We've just been saying it's not about performance. Now we're supposed to do good? And God's created us to do all these great things? Like, how's that work? Well, yeah, God wants us to be great husbands and wives and spouses and kids and students and all those things. But notice where this verse is. It's after we found out whose performance matters. It's after we found out where our worth is from. It's after we found out what Jesus has done for us. It's after we found out that Jesus died for us when we were dead in our sin. It's after we find out it's not by works that we're saved, but it's a gift and it's grace. And so God wants you to be a great dad and a great wife and a great spouse and great parent and all that stuff, but it only comes when you and I get how much we're worth. And so your performance in those areas doesn't tell you how much you're worth. Your performance in those areas will be a result of how much you are worth. And when you and I understand that worth, it enables us and inspires us to be the parent and the spouse and the worker and the son and daughter of God that he's called us to be. And so no, your performance doesn't define your worth. And as long as you look at that for your worth, it'll be broken. But when you and I grab a hold of where our worth comes from and whose performance matters, it then enables us to do the good works we were never able to do on our own strength. And so what I want you guys to know, and what this all comes down to today, is that your worth is defined by Jesus' performance, not your own. That's where you have to find it. That's where I have to find it. Your worth is defined by Jesus' performance, not your own. You ready for this? Your worth was defined at the cross. That's it. That's where it's found. It's not found in how great at this you are or how bad at that you are. Your worth is defined in Jesus' performance, not your own. When he got on the cross, that was the end of the conversation. No more arguing, no more wondering, no more questioning. And so no matter how well I perform here or as a parent or as a spouse or as a child of God, I got to keep on reminding myself and bringing myself back to that place that says, okay, Doug, yeah, you messed this up a little bit, or yeah, you didn't quite do as well as you could have, and yeah, that wasn't great, or hey, maybe that was awesome. But your worth is defined by Jesus' performance, not your own. And now let that fuel you. Doug, now be the dad that you can be. Because I created you to do good works, God says. I created you to be a great dad. I created you to be a great mom, but 
your worth can never be found there. And if it is, you won't be a great dad. You won't be a great mom. And and if you find your worth in Jesus, you'll start more and more to travel down that road. And we're always going to fall short. But more and more, we'll find the strength that he gives, the grace that he gives to be what he's called us to be. Remember what we looked at last week? Paul Tripp said, don't look horizontally for what we've already been given vertically. And what that means is don't look all around you horizontally. Don't look at all your performances all around you to try to give you worth. No, look vertically to what Jesus did for you. Look to what God's done and what he says. And so here's what I want you to promise yourself this week. I want you to promise yourself that you're going to stop letting your worth be defined by successes or failures on a sports court or field, at your job, your school, your home, and even your performance before God. And that you would remember throughout this week that your worth was defined at the cross, that your worth is defined by Jesus' performance, not your own. I did a wedding yesterday, and it was an awesome day, and, and I'm standing at the front of the aisle as the, like, the wedding party's coming down, and everybody's you know, on their way, and, and, and last are these, these two brothers coming down. You know like they come right before the bride comes, and they have the sign, and here comes the bride and the whole deal. And there are these two brothers, adorable, maybe four or five years old, I don't know. And one on the right is carrying the sign, doing good. And you know what? The one on the right is going to be a performer the rest of his life. Just, you know, strong, healthy kid. He's going to do great. The one on the left, severely handicapped, walking down the aisle, making his way, doing his best, holding the sign best he can. I actually saw him fall right before he's supposed to come down. You know, you just look at the two. One's going to perform well, one's going to struggle. But what I loved was as they come down the aisle and they do their thing and they make their way over to the front row where they're supposed to sit. The dad of these boys is sitting on the front row waiting for them. And with the hugest smile, he picks up his handicapped son and puts him on his lap and just holds him. And I just thought to myself, that is it. Not about performance. 100% about love. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes that talks about how we are found in the arms of love. You know what that means? That means that you and I find out who we are and how much we're worth in the arms of love, in God's arms of love. And that was the picture of this little guy on on his dad's lap on the front row. Here he was, found in the arms of love, accepted by his dad, Loved by his dad, performance would never steal that from this dad and this boy. And you know what? The same is true for you and I. Performance will never steal what Jesus has done for you. Will never steal his love and acceptance of you and I. And when we understand the worth he ascribes to us, it then fuels us to live the life he's called us to live. And we still fall short but his grace is huge and he's rich in mercy. And so as we look to him, he picks us back up and he holds us in the arms of love and we find out our worth and we go out and we go for it again. And that's the life of a Christian until we see him face to face, which we know will happen because Jesus raised back from the dead and he's brought our dead hearts back to life, our spiritual hearts that could never have pleased him. And for the rest of our lives, we just get to live knowing that our worth is defined by Jesus' performance and not our own. Let's pray. So God, we just come to you very needy, knowing we're a mess apart from you, God, knowing that 
we try to define our worth in a billion different ways. And God, I thank you so much that you're just calling us to relax a little bit and to rest in the arms of love and to, and to sit securely on our Heavenly Father's lap knowing we are accepted and we are forgiven and we are loved unconditionally. And that this dad that holds us is rich in mercy, in grace, and in love. And so we thank you, God. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about the ways that you tend to define your worth through your performance. And I want you to bring those to your Savior tonight. And I want to ask you to let him define your worth instead of you trying to define it. There is such freedom. And there's such joy. And we don't live based off the successes or failures anymore, which are that roller coaster of up and down, of good days and bad days. No, but we can have every day consistent because it's all about Jesus' performance in our place. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you've seen really clearly tonight that it is not about your performance. That God is not looking at you right now saying, I don't want him or her because of her performance. I don't want him or her because she's let me down so much. He's let me down so much. I know what they did this weekend. I know what they're planning to do after tonight. I know what they did last year. No, that's not his heart. His heart is to look at you and say, I want to bring their dead hearts back to life. I want to bring their spirits alive in me and I want to, for the rest of eternity, show them my grace and my kindness. That's the heart of God for you. He wants you to be found in his arms of love. He wants your worth to be determined by Jesus' performance, not yours. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, I would encourage you to pray something like this quietly between you and him. Jesus, thank you for loving me in a way I never deserve. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for bringing my dead heart to life. Thank you, Jesus, for spilling your blood in my place. Thank you for performing on my behalf. And so would you be my Savior? Forgive me for my sin. And would you let me see how real you are, God? Would you let me have a confidence that just like Jesus raised back from the dead, so one day I'll be with you in heaven. Thank you for this gift.